welcome to series two of the Big Beatles Sortout. In the first series, I, author and musician Gary Abbott, ranked all the Beatles core catalogue releases with the help of my Beatles expert brother Paul. In series two, we have already looked at the anthology and the songs they gave away, so join us now as we continue with selections from the Live at the BBC albums. Welcome to episode 53 and welcome to That's Paul Wright Mabbott. <laughs> That's a stretch. That's, uh, but I appreciate your attempt to fit it in theme-wise with the yeah, um, contents yeah. of the... <laughs> yeah, it's not just a random phrase like last week's. Yeah. 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 So um, is, is that Paul Wright Mabbott? Is everything all right? Yes. It's uh, interesting. I did want to mention straight off the bat, because we're recording this on... Uh, uh, the 31st of January, so mm. I've been doing the day-by-day watch-along of Get Back, uh-huh. which has been a very uh, interesting way to do it. Yeah. Uh, but also that the, they finally released on streaming the audio for of the, the rooftop, rooftop gig. Pod. Yeah. Just out of the thing that should have been in the box set. Yeah. Clearly should have been in the box set, would have made the box set, if not, well, not perfect, but better. Mm. Um, is now, it's like, I think everyone's really pleased that it's available, but everyone's also completely baffled that Apple didn't think that that was a thing that they would have put in, that people would have been interested in. Hmm. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. I just, I don't assume that they're they're cynical. I don't think the people in Apple are cynical about the Beatles stuff at all, like they're holding stuff back deliberately. I think they're genuinely a bit daft sometimes. Yeah, yeah. They're shocked that this thing is so big and that people are interested, you know, strange. in the biggest band of all time. Yeah, it does feel strange, doesn't it? There uh, seems to be a few things like that with the whole... I mean, we understand it from the Disney point of view that they perhaps were like, well, you want to use our platform to put out how many hours? But yeah, um, but even then, you know, we're still petitioning for more, aren't we? And Yeah, know. well, apparently uh, Peter Jackson in the Q&A before mm. the rooftop IMAX showing of which there was only one in in ah, in the United Kingdom mm. so I forgot how to speak then because <laughs> I was enraged by the fact that I would you'd have had to go to London to watch yeah. this this premiere thing mm. you know we've got an IMAX in Liverpool <laughs> you could have had one in the north yeah but uh, yeah yeah Peter Jackson is essentially saying petition Apple petition Disney I've got more material mm. I want to give you more but I can't just do it no so, yeah. So yeah. So it's been an interesting week in Beatlesness. Um, even if you're listening to this in a fortnight's time from us recording it, it's mm. uh, it's still the newest stuff that's happened. So I haven't gone and listened to the stream yet of the full rooftop concert, but I, I mean, other than the way that it broke away from it during the actual documentary to do some interview bits, that's yes. the bits you get. You get that. You don't get that obviously. So no, this is the music. So this yeah. is the 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 show. This okay. is the. The mic's on the roof. Well, I'll have to go in. And it's just on normal streaming for yes. normal people. No, normal streaming for normal people. Oh, good. Right. Well, I'll do the usual ramble. Don't forget you can follow us at big underscore sort on Twitter and Instagram or email us at bigbeetlesortout at gmail.com. And please do like and share our posts and review our podcast and give it stars and all that stuff. Thank you. Um, Paul, is there any other business you would like to draw people's attention to? No, simply to say, once again, pre-order my album, the album by Good Grief, called Shake Your Faith, coming out on the 18th of March, 2022. Yay! Hey, good stuff. 
Uh, and for me, last week, I couldn't remember. But yes, um, currently, because I'm putting out a single, a well, a single, a song, a month. And it would have been um, Rusty Old World, which is uh, kind of a folk song, um, folk country song that was been out in January. But by the time you're listening to this, the very newest, newest one should have come out called Kings of Nothing. And that's um, on my Apple and um, Spotify and all the other platforms that you may morally agree or disagree with. Yeah, um, but listen to, listen on Apple because Spotify are baddies. Yes, although we are being broadcast on Spotify. Well, no, but they're not paying us $100 million. No, like they, they pay certainly Joe are not <laughs> paying us $100 million. That's true. So, you know, that, that we have less leverage. <laughs> yeah. um, okay, so let's do On This Beatles Day, Paul, which is oh, right. the 14th of February. Oh, Valentine's Day, a day for lovers mm. and all things of the heart. To be represented in cheap pink and red tissue paper rubbish stuff. Mm. I don't know why I chose that voice <laughs> for, for that bit, but I did. Uh, so I've, rather than choose an event on the 14th of February, I have uh, dipped into the newspaper archives again to look for something novel that was published on the 14th of February. Okay. And I've gone to the 14th of February 1967. Okay. Which I suppose for Beatles people is... A bit of a, a period while we're waiting for the next big thing from them, really. Mm. You know, which is going to be Sergeant Pepper's. So we're turning to the Daily Mail, and in the Charles Greville column, which is just a gossip column, Charles Greville is a pseudonym, I think. Okay. Just for whoever's writing the gossip column. There's, I just found a little... And of course, the Daily Mail, that's what you think of when you think of Valentine's Day, don't you? As opposed to the hate and bile that pours out of it every uh, yeah. every other line. But yeah, it's titled No Reply from the Beatles Fans. And I'll read this in full probably. Okay. Nobody wants to know about the Beatles pedigrees, it seems. While I must admit the news does not strain my credulity, it has come as a shock to a firm which sells family trees. Michael Heenan, 43-year-old director of Achievements, said, We had such success with the ancestry of Heath and Wilson that we looked round for someone equally as popular. That's this, such a Daily Mail thing, isn't it? To get someone who thinks that the Beatles' popularity is comparable to, to Heath and Wilson, the yeah, politicians. Yeah. It's not quite the same thing. No. Um, but So they traced back the Beatles a few generations and brought out, quote, quite a lively little book with cartoons, only five shillings. They've sold 500 copies out of 5,000. WH Smith and Son thought at first they'd like 20,000 copies. Then they changed their minds. They haven't ordered any. Heenan tried the Beatles fan club. The fans didn't even reply. The fans, assuming there are any left, know all they want to know. Right. So, so I'm not doing that simply to make fun of the Daily Mail, although it is well, a lot of fun to, yeah. to do that. It's the idea that they, they someone went and did a little bit of research into the family trees and stuff like Tried that. Tried to flog it and people were like, yeah. this is a bit... This is I, yeah, I suspect what it is is it's it was official, a rubbish product. Crap, and we don't want it. Oh, yeah. Nobody wants to know about the Beatles family trees, do they? Well, that fits my worldview. Let's write about it. That kind of thing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah because as we know, people have always wanted to know. Yeah, and it's you. You pick up the Mark Lewison book, <laughs> and you start him way back in the in the past to learn all about their family history. Yes. So this five shilling booklet from someone trying to cash in yeah. in 1967. The kind of person, who, from the sound of it, tipped off the Daily Mail when they didn't get anywhere as well to have a to have a, a you know a stab at it, you know a bit of a 
a jibe at, at them for it. Yeah, I did try and see if I could see anything online about this this book slash booklet slash family tree, and I can't search. I couldn't find anything at all. It's quite hard to search for the word achievements as a product name mm. or a business name. You know, Beatles achievements is quite. <laughs> it's not going to turn up the yeah. results you expect. So, if anyone knows anything about this so-called, you know, yeah. Beatles pedigree family tree book i'd be very interested to know but hmm. it was it's, yeah it was a feature on one of these gossip pages and the other thing i i snipped out because it was a <laughs> if interest it'll be of interest to some of our listeners is that on that same gossip page is a photograph of a girl a 15 year old girl mm-hmm. and the headline the girl they say will be another julie andrews obviously julie andrews huge star in the yeah. 60s and it goes when lala ward is a star uh. i'll be I'm one of the first to say i told you so uh, so Doctor Who fans will know Lala Ward yeah. as the second Romana. I know. I and I mentioned it, it Lala. Is it Lala. 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 Uh, it's not a real name. It's how uh. she pronounced her actual name. I think when she was yeah. little and it stuck as a, uh. as a thing. Uh, but yeah, the 15-year-old daughter of Lord Banger, the writer Edward Ward, is clearly destined for success. Lala is not only lovely, she's intelligent. She paints and some of her poetry isn't bad. Now she wants to act. <laughs> and then it goes on and on. It's a bit... It doesn't overtly say anything creepy, but mm. it just comes across as a bit creepy, like this this lovely fifteen year old. Yeah, so, yeah. I, wasn't she? Wasn't this? I saw something recently about Lala Ward. Or Lala yeah, Ward. I, I I shared it. Right, because it wasn't this. Though, I think something else wasn't about writing. No, it. I think it's because when um, when people were moaning about the Beatles getting their MBEs, she was one of the people who wrote to the newspaper and said they think they deserve it. Ah, oh, that's got to be. You know. Good old, so there you go. Good old la la. Um, yeah. So very good. So um, just that a little bonus thing there for fans of uh, Doctor Who, yeah, of which I'm sure many Beatles fans are. Quite a lot of crossover. Um, yeah, great stuff. So this episode, then we are on to disc two of volume one of Live at the BBC. Yes. Last week we did disc one on volume one, and if you didn't listen to that, it's probably best to do that first because I explain the modified scoring system for this particular run of episodes, which we will continue with today, looking at five um, songs in detail, but generally running through the the, the, the track list to get us going. Um, so, yeah, a- anything else before we crack on with that, Paul? Have you got general disc two vibes? I mean, it's pretty much more, more of the same, isn't it? Because it's the same. Yeah, there's, no, there's nothing more to say beyond what I introduced in the, in the first yeah. episode. I will just recap that this comes out on the 30th of November, November 1994. Mm-hmm. It's a big success as a thing. And then obviously there's this 2013 remaster, which we're using as the one we're working for which has got some variety in the speech tracks particularly on this second disc yeah and one additional musical item at the very end of this disc as well and i was just thinking today while i was listening to this actually it is good that they remastered it it does do some of the archive material a favor yeah you know that i love listening to on my original cd but cds but yeah it is nice to hear a bit more clarity on some of the ones that were very you know, this material is of an archival nature yeah. type of thing. Uh, yeah, but it ca- it continues to be one of my favourite Beatles album, and I'm looking forward to going into this disc two. Well then, without much further ado, let's uh, do it. <laughs> yes. Right, well, what we did was I just ran through track by track, and then we paused we on our other one to, the, to, to talk about the thingies. The in-focus one, where we're gonna, which goes yeah. into the chart, yes. 
So we open on on disc two with Krinsk's D Night, which is the joke about uh, the Beatles being film being a success in Portugal. Ah, yes, yeah. And then we get the version of a Hard Day's Night on here that has the piano solo from the record spliced into the middle of it, which is quite a thing. And oh, well, there's another track. I'll have to try and remember it when we get to it. There's another track where someone's playing a tambourine. I'm going, well, who's playing the tambourine? Oh, yes. Well, there you I go. I think I know what that one is when it comes up. Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah. But it's interesting that they, they play, obviously play A Hard Day's Night live. Yeah. And they they do it for promotional purposes when they're gigging and things like that as well. But because they're doing it for the radio, hmm. they can't reproduce the... So- All right. See, this is an interesting thing with the Beatles. It's a bit like when they're doing Get Back and they're like, well, how do we do songs where we'd have a piano? Yeah. And it, and it sort of it's freaking them out a bit. The idea of getting an extra beat person in to supplement them. They're yeah. sort of going, well, Nicky Hopkins maybe. It's like, yeah, the answer is to get someone to do the extra bit for you. Yeah, yeah. You can tell them what to do, uh, and obviously the end result is Billy Preston in that scenario. But here it's like, well, we how do we make the record when we play it on the radio sound like the record? Yeah, they couldn't just. Like, well, it doesn't. It'll sound like the live version of the record. In this case, you don't need to get someone in. No, because you could just play it on the guitar and not worry about yeah. the Yeah, you're doing it on a 12-string anyway, so it sounds sounds pretty, you know, jangly and twangy. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's just weird that it's cut in there and then they make a point of fading it in a funny way and interrupting their fade-out to prove that they've not just played the record. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they, they, yeah. I didn't quite get that because they were fading it out and then fading it back and say, look, but then that, why would that prove they're not playing a record if uh, yeah. if it was being faded? Because you could fade a record. Because mm-hmm. the record just stops. No, the record fades out, doesn't it? So, yeah. But it's, yeah. So apparently the engineer for that recording said that they were expecting George Martin to turn up and play the piano for them. Um. So... But, you know, there we go. Anyway, we move on from A Hard Day's Night to yep. a little bit of speech called Ringo. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which is, if I'm not much mistaken, a mm-hmm. variation on the original CD where it's called Have a Banana. It's a different bit of the speech. Right, okay. So this is where I, my love of this album and the amount of times I've listened to it, sort of I trip over a little bit here because it's not as familiar because yeah. they've changed around some of the speech bits. So anyway, then Ringo does I Want to Be Your Man. Mm-hmm. Then we have a little bit of speech with George called Just a Rumour. A Rumour. Uh, roll over Beethoven. Yep. Then we have All My Loving. Is that the one where George says, sorry, before Roll Over Beethoven? Go on, yeah. How, uh, how long have you been playing this one? 75 years or something like that? No. Just 28 years. 28 years. Yeah. 28 years. <laughs> yeah. This is 1964. Mm. Um, yeah. Then he does Roll Over Beethoven. Then they do All My Loving. Mm-hmm. Then they do. Uh, uh, things we said today which i like hearing that live mm-hmm. as i do she's a woman yeah, which is the yeah. next track on there great song uh then we have sweet little 16 then we have 1822 and then we come to the first of the ones i've chosen for us yeah lonesome tears in my eyes Baby, 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 blues are sorrow And I'll love you tomorrow Just suit you just fine Oh, baby, 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 blues are sorrow I'll love you tomorrow Just suit you just fine I can't forget that you told me So many promising lies Lonesome tears in my eyes, Paul. Oh, that's very sad, Gary. Could I give you a handkerchief? No, thanks. Over the internet? 
Uh, digital handkerchiefs, digital a bit like NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> no. Don't really understand any of that. So. No. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, I've, I've <laughs> selected this one. It's a, it's a John lead vocal. And I've picked it because I think it shows a, a sort of side of John we don't necessarily get on the rest of this stuff. In This is rockabilly John, you know. Oh, okay. And we normally get rock and roll John, but get rockabilly John is something slightly different. Oh, I didn't know. I wouldn't have... Uh, I, I, I felt like it had a Latina feel to it. Um, Latino. <laughs> uh, Latina? That's, that's people. Yeah, no, a Latino feel to it. Um, you know, uh, it's got a... Am I right? Is that what you mean by rockabilly? No. No. Don't you think it's got a bit of a cha-cha-cha kind of to it, like a... Uh, well, no, I think I know what you mean. Bring on the hula It's got a... Yeah. As if it was on a... A cabasa or a yeah. shaker or something like yeah. that, but it's not. It's it's from a, it's it's pure rockabilly really. Oh, okay, I've heard. Comes it. from a, a record called uh, Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Trio. That's the name of the artist and the name of the record that it's on. Right. So, so it is a rockabilly song from a rockabilly act. Yes. But I all I can hear is like, castanets and hula girls, kind of feel to it. You're all over the world with your definition <laughs> of things. Yeah. Now I'm going to Hawaiian. No, yeah, but it's it's got uh, okay, yeah, okay. So that is an interesting. Uh, I I felt like we've heard it a bit in things like Devil in Your Heart and things like that a little bit, but then that's that's more the side I'm coming at it from. I think. Yeah, well, no, I I agree with you there, especially in the type of guitar playing on it. Yeah, in the same rhythm. Cha cha cha. Anything, yeah, it's got the same kind of rhythms, but um, yeah, um, I think whether they're doing it because it's rockabilly or, or whatever, I, I think you can see that the uh, these kind of songs give them a shift in beat and feeling because obviously a lot of this, the, the, the vast majority of this is rock and roll, isn't it? So it is, you've got a stricter kind of 4 4 to it, and these give them a, a, a swing and off well, not an off beat, but a, you know, a, a swung beat, isn't it? On, on a different type of um, yeah, well, it's totally a different type of feel yeah, compared feel. to going dun, 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 or yeah. you know like Chuck Berry type thing. This is something different again. Yeah, um, and it you can't. This kind of beat rhythm makes you want to shuffle your feet and move along to it as well in a different kind of way. More the more the hips, I guess. Um, yeah, the song has a nice hook in the verse. Um, it's not really got a chorus as such, has it? It's mainly that. It's one of those songs that doesn't kind of. It's one one long section, really. It doesn't really break to say, and now this bit happens. It's got that kind of well, oh, well, oh, well, the hook is right from the off, isn't it? Um, yes. It's a lot of reliance on the instrumental sections, which we'll get to in the performance, but the kind of, the construction of the song is kind of, keeps them going back to instrumental. A good two or three times, doesn't it? Yes, it does, yeah. Yes, it, it, it's, a, it's a mover and a shaker of a song, I think, for sure. Um, yeah. I was going to give it 64 for music. Interesting. Mm. I will say, uh, I didn't mention it, it was broadcast on Pop Goes the Beatles on the 23rd of July, 1963, having been recorded in a session on the 10th of July, 1963. And did they do it just for that, do you know? Or did, do you think this was one that they used to play? When was it? What was the song it was based on? When was it? F- well, so, right. So the band that it comes from, it's Johnny Burnett and the Rock and Roll Trio. Mm. Songs written by Johnny and Dorsey Burnett and uh, a couple of the other members of the band. It's it's an album track, like I said. So apparently, according to Mark Lewison, this this record 
was one of the really early important and very influential things for John particularly all right. and all the rest of the band in like when it came out in 56 or whatever 57 right. it would have been in this in this country um and so this is when John was living in Gambia Terrace in Liverpool opposite the cathedral mm. uh but yeah apparently it was one of the albums that John could actually stand to listen to all the way through because normally his attention would wander Right. But but this was a record that he really really loved, and so, but like I say, I think the thing about it is it's rockabilly, and you don't get John doing those sort of rockabilly things as much as you get George doing them. Yeah, yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah. So that's that's something a bit different, I think. Yeah, good stuff. Well, on the performance of it, then um, I was going to say someone has set Ringo to his samba setting again, but I guess it's rockabilly as well. It's his squeaky bass drum pedal. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so although you can hear that on the actual studio recordings, I think perhaps the remaster of, of Live at the BBC has revealed it even more. So if you've got your headphones on, you can really listen to Ringo's squeaky bass drum pedal yeah. solo through about a, three or four tracks on this. You love a squeaky bass drum pedal. I like to hear the uh, the world that the music's yeah. coming from. <laughs> but it's he's it, one of these ones, again, when they're on a slightly sh- shifted kind of um, feel, where you feel like he's... I mean, he's doing it excellently, but he's gone. I am gonna. This is the rhythm. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna let it up because we've got to keep this one in its, in its feel. So you know, he does little bits and bobs, but he's pretty much does it with, with, very small amounts of deviation throughout. But he does it really well. Um, I think. So I don't know if you'll turn me off for this. I think there's a bit of issue here with the guitar work. I think it's a bit. Um, it's great in many ways. It's very, technically difficult. But it does feel, because of that, a bit stilted and here and there. I think it's very ambitious. Yeah, ambitious. I think George. Yeah. I think George's guitar part in this is great. I mean, particularly the bit of the sort of the proper double stop rockabilly stuff, because that's clearly a big influence on him. I mean, he's playing that sort of stuff in "Don't Let Me Down" yeah. in nineteen sixty nine. You yeah. know, that's he uses some of that style there. Um, but the record is the original. Is so it's quite twiddly. The yeah, guitar on the original. It's a lot. It's a very musical, very um, quite complex and interesting guitar part. So George is trying to approximate some of that. Yeah, but he's not that sort of, of dexterous player. See, yeah, and they wasn't. They wouldn't have worked it to death because at the end of the day, this is something they're doing. You know, they may have done it in their old sets, but there was one of many, 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 many songs. They wouldn't have gone laboured it, would they? They would have gone that. That's that's doable. That's that's enough. But um, and they, who knows how long it was since they last played it? By the time they, you know, they might have just gone. Should we do that one today or whatever? But um, it's just because the song keeps on flitting back to it. It's like I feel sorry for George. Really, he's like, oh, gosh, he has to try again. And obviously, there's, does, there's, he does do a lot in this. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, busy it's, in this it's one. just mainly that there's a lot going on. So you know, um, yeah. Uh, so it's impressive that he gets through so much, but it also kind of gives it a little bit, lets it down a tiny bit because of just how much he has to do. Uh, Paul doesn't have much to do on his bass. He just keeps that really basic kind of a line going out, going, which I think is being doubled on the guitar. I think there's a, I think that's what the other guitar is doing, isn't it? Something like that. And um, John singing. I don't think John singing gives gives him much scope to do much on this. I think it's great. He's adequate, but it's um, is yeah, I think I prefer him on a rocker, a proper rocker rather than a um a rockabilly. You know, but it's mm-hmm. it's um it's still a good performance. 61, I've scored it. So song choice then, Paul, which is the um, nebulous third category. Yes. Um, well, it doesn't really make any sense. No, but um, it's a good song for a live set, I think. So um, 
unlike a lot of the other ones when you compare it to the original this is a bit slower i think and yeah this is the one i thought it was when you're saying about the, the solo is quite complex it sounds like george has added more to the solos than so although the solo is complex and on the, um, the original version it doesn't sound like it's heart in harmony whereas george seems to be playing doubled up all the time yeah right? so he's playing a lot more double stop type stuff whereas at the that, there is some of that on the original recording, but, but not, a lot not, of that is yeah. single guitar notes bits. So to just make to make it easier on himself and stuck with the single ones. Well, single note picking because it feels like he's made it. He's made life tough on himself. Anyway, that's by the by performance thing. Um, I can't hear them putting this on an album because um, I don't think they would do that much. Barring, like I said before, Devil in a Heart and maybe. But Devil in Her Heart's more more soul, the soul side of it, and that they they lean, lean towards that on those albums. They don't really lean yeah. into the rockabilly stuff quite so much, other than the Carl Perkins bits. I'd say there's a bit of Mr. Moonlight as well, in a slow down. Again, it's the same. It's the feel of the beat, even though it's not rockabilly. It's got the same. I think, I think you're bonkers. It's got now. I think well maybe, but um. But then they do go into, and I didn't think about this till I saw it somewhere on one of the... Where did I see it? I can't remember. But it, but once I saw it, it made complete sense. The next time they come to this, Paul, this kind mm-hmm. of style, is much later in their career, isn't it? With the Ballad, uh, of, John, ballad of John and Yoko. They kind of... Uh, yeah, re- kind of. It's kind yeah. of referencing this a bit, and it's, it's got a lot of the... Um, you know, they did, did, Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Gary. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I hadn't even put that in my notes. Yeah, there's there's literally the quote from this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the irony is, of course, on the ballad of John and Yoko, it's it's not George. No. Because it's just John and Paul making that record. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they hark back to this. And as we know, as I've said before, John loved it. Yeah you know, loved this record and these guitar parts. So obviously it was in his mind. So actually, funnily enough, a lot later after the, all the things we're listening to now, this this makes a, a direct impact. So that's interesting. Um, yeah. I, I, I so it's mean, got legacy. It's got legacy. I don't want to claim credit for that in any sense because I'm sure I read it somewhere. Oh, like, no, no. Um, I, yeah, definitely. It's, it, you're pop- absolutely right. And yeah. it has been noted elsewhere. Yeah. Except strangely by me on my notes today, <laughs> like a fool. Oh, that's all right. I'd like to be the swap of the roles. Do you want to give it a score and then we can... Uh... No, that would be weird. Everything <laughs> would be upside down then. Well, I'll give it a score for song choice of 55, which gives it 60 overall. So, let's carry on with the um, the next track, Paul. What's that then? Well, it's our next pick as well. Ooh. It's from the same session, uh, Pop Goes the Beatles. It's a George vocal. It's more rockabilly and it's George singing Nothing Shaking but the leaves on the trees by Eddie Fontaine. We meet the gang and go to rocking shows. The cats are stomping on the heels and toes. I grab my baby, try to give her a squeeze. Snarling, shaking, but the leaves on the trees. Well, why must she be such a dog on teeth? There's nothing shaking, but the leaves on the trees. Nothing shaking, Paul. That's because I'm sat very still and careful so I don't knock anything, make any unwanted noises. Very prudent. Yes, very professional. Except for that bit earlier when I was adjusting my mic whilst talking, which was very poor. I'm sorry, everyone. Uh, yeah, 
nothing shaking. It's I mean the, we've had some sort of rockabilly before and that that selection before. This yeah. is much more. This is what George I, going full tilt rockabilly. Yeah, this feels more rockabilly to me. I, I I wouldn't. I would feel less like introducing Lat, Latino type of a into this. This, this I, I'd understand this more as a rockabilly song. Yeah, so it's a single originally by Eddie Fontaine, which reached only number 64 in the mm. US in 1958. So it's not a super famous song, although I think it probably is Eddie Fontaine's most famous release, possibly yeah. because of the, well, certainly from this perspective with the Beatles having done it. Um, Eddie Fontaine was one of these rockers who were a singer's slight crooner, depending on what you were listening to him do. Right, okay. Who turned up in things like films like The Girl Can't Help It, which the Beatles all loved, which is an amazing film anyway. Okay. So they'd have they'd have known this guy, they'd have seen him on the screen. Um, and then there's these, you know, like we know with George, loves his rockabilly. Mm. And it's, it's just a, a good example of that for George, which is why I've selected it. Good. I'm glad you did. Yeah, so it's definitely a bit more yeehaw. I think here, yeah, um, uh, yeah, and um, oh, the strange, it's definitely uh, it, how close. I mean, they must be very close, Skiffle and Rockabilly, because it also when I when I hear this, I immediately think of um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Putting on the Ken sandwiches, <laughs> uh, no, um, red arms. Do you, you know it Lionel with, backwards? <laughs> that's not. Is this helping? helping? It's not helping at all. Lonnie Donegan. Okay, yes. Because I was getting sound- closer with Lionel backwards. It's, it sounds <laughs> it like... Yeah, yeah. That's what was making it harder. It, it sounds like um, putting on the style. Well, um, yeah, yeah. So there is a relationship here. If you think of Rockabilly as as being essentially stand-up bass, yeah. a small trap drum kit type thing, yeah. you know, and then a jangly guitar, and you think of Skiffle as being... Very oh, oh, fast tempo. And- like... Like say it's very basic. Say a washboard for the rhythm, a T chest bass, yeah, and a guitar or a banjo. So yes, there's there, there's distinct links between different forms of particularly American types of country and western as it goes into rockabilly and what skiffle does as well, especially in the style of the walking bass type thing. Yeah, which is a lot easier to do on electric bass than it is to do on a T chest bass. Yeah, but is yeah. more associated with that big stand up bass type mm. thing, double bass. But Paul's mimicking that in this quite nicely all the way through, doing a proper walking bass line on his yeah. on his Hofner. It's also reminds reminiscent of um, one after nine oh nine tempo and energy. Got yeah, that. there's a bit of that. I think it's got a good melody, and I love the vocal break kind of hook with the the nothing shaking, but the leaves on the trees kind of lyric. You know, the the main feature of the song. Yeah. Um, it's uh, there's not much else to say about it musically because these kind of ones are by the numbers, aren't they? You just kind of press go and they go and they move along quickly and keep up, keep up the interest for a little fast number and they're in and out in a couple of minutes, really, aren't they? They are. Yeah, it's. I think it's another example though of George getting not only the rockabilly song but also a bit of a comedy number. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's sort of a bit like a frustrated lover yeah. type thing um, done for done for laughs. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got. Um, well, that's the nothing shaking thing, isn't it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I like it. I'm going to give it 59 for music because I think it's a good example of this kind of a song. But do listen to um, the intro to um, Putting on the Style, Lonnie Donegan, and you'll see exactly what I mean because I think it starts basically with it more or less exactly the same riff being done over and over again, like ding, 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 ding. It's, 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 it's good. Um, oh, yeah. Performance then. 
Um, I like the bounce on this one, the staccato of the bass, walking bass line that he's doing and the, the kind of muted picking that gives it that little, that's that little again, that staccato you kind of ding, 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 ding. You know what I mean? Like, because it's muted, it kind of gives it a little bouncy sparkle. The little lead bits um, sound better than in the last song we listened to because they're kind of brief and the stiltedness of them suits this song, if you know what I mean. They have a, they're meant to sound short and sharp rather than ah this note there's too many notes to play it's kind of like yeah. that, that, that's a deliberate choice i think he's george is doing a good job of the lead again it's not a screamer for him because um, he doesn't get them very much does he but he gives it all it needs um i'm surprised they didn't throw some kind of backing vocals in i could hear where you, they could have done but i suppose it's, if they're not in the original i don't know if they are no, I don't think so. No, but the rest of it is well within their abilities as a beat combo and they keep it up till the end. Um, yeah, 57 for performance I've given it as a, you know, from what there is there to judge from, they are doing what they can do very well. Mm -hmm. Very well. Um, but there's not a huge amount. Of, I imagine they could whip these kind of songs out as and when needed. Um, yeah, so the song choice category... Uh, I I don't mind it. I do like the kind of well, what what you're now telling me is a rockabilly, and but I had a skiffly country and that. Um, it's all part of the soup, you know, all that yeah. stuff together, really. And all these standards have their limits. And I'm I'm um, I I think this is a good example, good enough example of it. Um, I don't think I'd want it on a record from them. Um, and listening to the original though. Although George is doing quite well, George, um, is it Eddie Fontaine? Eddie Fontaine. He yeah. does. He does it very well. He does a good vocal performance on this. Yeah. I think. Eddie Fontaine. He puts a lot of um, personality across a lot of. He sort of acts it quite well. Yeah, he's got the benefit of a studio in, on the version that you, I could find of him kind of doing it. He's obviously had the benefit of it being a song that he would have worked on and a lot to kind of put out as a recording or whatever. But he, he's, yeah. He, I mean, he's he's obviously a. I think a bit of a cut, cut above. Um, he's, he's a good singer, and it's um, yeah, more. I can. It's one of these ones that, like, with when, when they did one after nine oh nine, I can more imagine them coming back towards the end of the career. So rather than them doing it on an early album, it's the kind of thing I wouldn't have been surprised if it cropped up in the get back sessions in between the songs. You know, yeah, the kind of thing they were harking I don't think back it to. I don't think it does. No, it's hard to tell. They do so much. It may have been around. cut, you know. It could have been one of the things we haven't seen, couldn't it? But it, it, it's that kind of song, I think, where they would have, they would have relished it. I think more later towards the, the end of the career. Um, yeah, so fifty-eight for song choice, which gives it, funny enough, fifty-eight altogether. That's nice the way that's worked out, doesn't it? It has. Nice. It's always nice. satisfying. So uh, uh, yeah. Just before we move on, just to mention a bit more about Eddie Fontaine. Yeah. Which it didn't have a particularly long-lasting career through the. 60s i don't think because he was certainly not in the music industry because he moved into acting okay yeah so he was in quite a lot of different things and then suddenly if you're reading his wikipedia entry you get to um according to police documents in 1983 fontaine approached a country singer with the promise of a recording contract with rca and a large sum of money if the man were to kill his estranged wife with whom he was in custody <sighs> battle God. so it's like ah, oh, right okay why is it always musicians <laughs> Yeah. So he tried to get someone to kill his, you know, wife. Mm. Um, and he got four four years in prison, but he ended up getting out because of a technicality to do with 
something how the judge did or didn't reveal previous convictions he'd had for um, grand larceny and child molestation. Right, so he got out early because the judge did or didn't tell them about. Yeah, the fact so that I couldn't he was find any more technical lawyer details. And I, I, you read the words "child molestation," you don't necessarily want oh. to read any further into it, really. Oh well, yeah, but one. yeah, apparently he was in an episode of, of Quincy, which saddens me now because it means he's a strange man in, in uh, Quincy. Quincy, one of my favourite TV programs. Oh, oh well, maybe he's the murderer. Yeah, well, he probably was. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, so that's how his career sort of played out in the end. Lovely. Oh, great. So I hope everyone enjoyed those fun details. <laughs> like and to for, bring to the for bring to the party. Fans, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's move on then with the track listings. Where do we got to? Well, nothing we're going to move on from nothing shaking to uh, the hippie hippie shake the hippie to hippie carry shake. on the shake theme yeah. there. And it's always nice to get a Beatles version of hippie hippie shake because they, you know, we, I think it's one of those ones. Hippie hippie shake. If they I suppose when they came to doing Please Please Me, I don't know if it was ever going to be a toss-up between, say, Twist and Shout and Hippie Hippie Shake. Yeah. Because it's very much do I a very capable screamer. I associate the Hippie Hippie Shake with the Beatles, but I might be thinking we must have had it. I think I'm... But where would I have seen them do it? Because I've not spent much time with this album, so... I'm well, I mean, it's, it's already existed in a couple of versions. Um, it was on that um, Hits from the Mersey era record that I've talked about that before. That was who was doing that, that the actual uh, Swinging original. Blue Jeans. Right, okay. So I think it's um, probably just I know the song. And you might know the Chan Romero version, the original, so. Yeah. Whatever it is, um, my daughter was dancing out of the door to school this morning, singing Hippie Hippie and shaking her hips because we'd had it on in the car. Oh, excellent. Always good. Good work, her. Uh, yeah, then we go on to um, George doing Glad All Over. So more Carl Perkins for George. Mm. And then we arrive at track number 16. Mm-hmm. I just don't understand. Well, you call me your baby When you're holding my hand But the way that you hurt me You say that you need me. I just don't understand, Paul. I just said that to you. I just don't understand, Paul. It's because everything's so difficult these days. Oh. Complicated. Unlike this song, okay. originally by Anne Margaret, which is not difficult to understand because it is just ace. Mm. Um, the original's brilliant. The Beatles version is brilliant. This was, again, another one of my absolute what moments listening to Live at the BBC. Yeah. One of my absolute favourite things on it. I love the Beatles version. Mm-hmm. And then when I've heard the original, and if anyone's yeah. not heard the original, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh, amazing. But they do it. It's a John vocal. Uh, it was broadcast on Pop Goes the Beatles on the 20th of August, 1963, recorded um, in 16th of July, 1963. It was a single by Anne Margaret, which came out in June 1961, so mm. relatively new to them. I mean, a couple of years, I suppose, in those days. It yeah. would have felt like like a golden oldie, really. Mm. But it got to number 17 in the US, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating. 17? What, the, the um, Anne Margaret? The original. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Did she get, where did she get into the, in the UK? Or did she get anywhere? I don't think it was released in the UK. Well, I mean, I'm surprised it only got to number 17. It's a fantastic song. 
Um, so I listened to this um, for the notes and then at some point halfway through my notes, listened to the original. Thought, oh, I'll have a listen to the original. And um, I was like, blimey, this is amazing. This is, a, I mean, I like the, what I was listening to the Beatles version, but they're obviously doing a live version of it. But the album version is blooming brilliant. It's gone right up there in my song kind of charts of best songs ever. Um, but anyway, going back to just what I my initial impressions that I got from listening to the Beatles one, I was immediately hit by the intro thinking, ah, this is something different from the off. Because as you know about me, I, I, I love the old standards, and uh, you know, but I, I, I have maybe a, a Lennon-esque a potential span that if I hear too much rock and roll, too much blues, too much whatever in a row, it starts to get a bit mergy for me, you know. So I like it when there's something like something comes along in their mind, a key or something different, you know. And straight away I was like, ah, this is different. This is definitely different. Um, and it plays out into that country sad lilt, you know, um, that kind of, I mean, it's country, isn't it? Kind of based. No, I don't think it's country. <laughs> no, <laughs> I disagree again. Americana, what do, you, what do you put it under then? What would you say it is? Uh, do you know what? I mean, you're, yeah, I'm disagreeing with you on what you're saying, but I don't necessarily have an answer to you, Well, really. there you go, then. I mean, uh, it has like... Dun, 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 it's rock, dun, it's rock. Dun, dun, dun. I guess so, yeah. I, it's, it's hard one, because this is, coincidentally, not just for an opportunity for a plug, but the song, my song, Rusty Old World, that I've just been out in January, has a similar, has a, pretty much the same feel to this, the same kind of minor key. Um, it's, it's a 3-4 kind of... Dun, yeah, three, dun, four, yeah. Or six, eight, depending it's, on how fast you want to it's go. It's the same. It, it's the same kind of thing. And I had trouble. I have trouble categorizing. It's like, is it American folk? Is it country? Is it, you know, what do you put it under when you're uploading it to things? Is I like, is it? I guess it is rock, but it's rock with a with a feel to it, isn't it? It's 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 yeah. it's it's it's, it's, slow, it's such an intriguing it? one for the period that it's in, yeah. particularly the sound of the original record. Mm. It's quite hard to tell. It sounds quite a lot like um, if you've got to make a fool of somebody, which Freddie and the Dreamers do, and the Beatles yeah. used to cover as well, because it's got the same sort of feel, the same sort of key, the same sort of strangeness to it. And in fact, Freddie and the Dreamers did a version of this as well, yeah. although they did it irritatingly fast. Oh, I know. I wouldn't like that. No. No, 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 that's not good. But the actual, the funny thing is, uh, this is the bit I was writing, like the notes that I was writing before I'd listened to the, the original, but I think it still stands as a good first impression, is that the actual song in the live version the Beatles do doesn't go that many places and relies on the addition of the backing vocals, the guitar breaks and the slight uplift in the lead vocals in the last verse to keep you interested. It's, I like it, but it has got purposefully a kind of plodding here and there and it, and it felt like it was in need of something. But then, then I went and listened to the Anne Margaret version and I realized that what they're missing is a harmonica, a, a fuzz guitar and yeah. Anne, Anne Margaret doing a, an astonishing vocal. Will you call me your baby when you're holding my hand? How you can hurt me, I just don't understand. So what the Beatles are doing is a very ambitious cover, is that what they're doing, isn't it? It's... They are yeah, yeah. like, let's do a live version of something that's like, I think a lot of people would listen to and think, oh, I can't do that. There's so much going on in the record in a good way that it would be like, well, we would be missing that, we'd be missing that. And the Beatles have thought, no, we'll, we'll have a crack at that. And I think they've done a good job at arranging it, actually, when you 
put it in context. So I've given it 69 for music for the kind of arrangement of the, the song and everything. Yeah. Do you know anything about Anne-Margaret at all? Oh, as, as a big Who Tommy fan. I yeah, know her. That's where I know her writhing in beans. <laughs> yes, as so many do. Yeah, it's a weird thing that I think a lot of people. That's the touchstone. So a lot of rock music fans will know yeah. Anne Margaret from being Tommy's mum in the film yes. version of a, The Who's fantastic Tommy, performance. nineteen seventy-five. Um, which is yeah, it's a fantastic performance. Charmingly eccentric. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's playing Roger Daltrey's mother, even though she's only three years older than Roger <laughs> yeah, Daltrey. It doesn't make much sense. But she'd had a you know an amazing career sort of in the early sixties, playing alongside Elvis in films and being in loads of TV. Mm. And I think she had an affair with Elvis as well and things like mm. that. But if you see any of her stuff from like, um, I think she's in Viva Las Vegas. If you watch any of the clips of her dancing in that, it's amazing. Oh, okay. Um, she's a, yeah, and she's still involved? alive and still still alive and still working. Oh, lovely. As far as I know. Hello, Anne. If you're listening, <laughs> please, of course she will. Please be. ignore that. The beans comments. It's just, it's, it's, it's. I think she'd probably be used to the beans comments. It's just one of the most, apart from being strangely erotic, it's also one of the strangest scenes in cinema. <laughs> well, it, well the it's be- a Ken Russell film. A, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I suppose it's by his standards, it's kind of normal, but even for the film, even for a very strange film, a very great and amazing and strange film, it's a, it's a strange scene. But, yeah. Um, yeah, beans and champagne, isn't it? Beans and bubbles. And um, yeah, bubbles from soap. It's all soap. Yeah, that was a champagne. Consumerism, beans, isn't it? Bubbles and chocolate. Or yeah. sp- oh blimey! Oh, I'm left to go and watch that again. Um, yeah, just, uh, but not. Calm yourself. just. It's just strange. I'm just remembering it. How visually striking. That you scene watched is. that at a pivotal age. I did, and um, every every couple of years since. Um, so. Um, I said 69 for music, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. So, on to performance then. I, I think they're um, really giving it a go to get all the little bits in, but I do think it's hard for George to do it all himself. So, this is, you know, I think as a performance, they, they could only do as much as they could try and translate into what they've got the instruments to do in a live performance. Uh, the vocals are good, but, I mean, let's be fair to Anne Margaret, John isn't really, he's doing a fair enough job of them, but it's not reaching the heights that she does on them. Um, but he, he, you know, and the last verse he starts to kind of break out a little bit, um, and then go back down to his low register. But the backing's nice. I like the, like the real, you know, the um, the harmonies. Um, I just think they took a more song that it could really represent between the four of them. Um, I would probably rate it higher if I didn't realise, um, if I hadn't listened to the original. So it kind of goes works for them on the song, but less against them on the performance. Not because it's a bad performance, because I think there's only so much they could do with it but I still think they do a good job so it's 59 for performance oh I'd have given it more of that for, for this do you think yeah I just think well it's not if John, it's not one that John needs to really he can't be as sultry as an Anne Margaret voice he just can't do that for this kind of thing it's all a matter of perspective Gary I guess so maybe yeah, maybe I'm I'm coming out with my Mar- Anne Margaret filter and I've got John covered in beans thinking that well that's not what I want um, so no, it's not that. It's um, it's I just well anyway. I still think fifty nine is a good score, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna stop justifying myself and move on. Yeah, song choice. That's a stunning song, um, and I like to think I can hear the reverence for it, and the ambition in them trying to, to even attempt it. 
Um, I think it probably rates really highly from a song choice as the kind of song they were probably trying to pull apart to see how it works so they could do similar. Yeah. Which I think towards the rubber soul end of things, they probably are doing stuff a bit like this, aren't they? Uh, yeah, I think I know what you mean by that. I, I think it, it's one of those ones, it's interesting to know that they've done it. It's interesting to know what the original sounded like and influenced them yeah. so that they've got this stuff in their head right from the early 60s, the very early 60s, mm. um, that they would pick songs like this uh, and if you've got to make a fool of somebody type things to get different vibes and different feels. Yeah. And it sort of, yeah, it does emerge out of you know i think you can hear it in in things like hide your love away and norwegian wood and things you can start to hear bits of this kind of feel to it just you know things just minor key slow when they start doing things it with more dynamic range than the pure rockers and stuff absolutely so um also just out of interest uh did Anne margaret write it i don't know if she's a writer or just a performer or was it written by someone else no it was written by marjorie john wilkin and kent westbury of course. Um, so, 88 for song choice I gave it. That's a good score. So, it's got 72 overall. There we are. So, there we are. So, um, oh, back to the um, track listings then. Yeah, well, we move on from that to So How Come No One Loves Me. Then we have um, I Feel Fine, which uh, mm-hmm. is also featured in sort of some outtakes on the second Live at the BBC volume. Mm-hmm. We have a version of I'm a Loser. Yeah. And then we have Everybody's Trying to Be My Baby. Then classic old rock and roll music. Mm-hmm. Cover, Ticket to Ride. Now, stop. Go. Oh. Ticket to Ride, I think, is the one where, you know, when they go, my baby don't care. Yes, there's a tambourine on it. Who's doing the tambourine? Because it's a live version and they're all playing their instruments. I don't know. It was probably just someone in the studio with them. It might have been Big Mal Evans. I don't know why I call him Big Mal Evans. It's actually quite a hard bit of tambourine. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing to keep in mind with these live at the BBC sessions is it's not like one microphone stuffed in front of them, do it live and you're done. Yeah. There, there was a certain amount of ability to add something on top, which is oh, why okay. some of these things are, are, are double tracked. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. And um, so possibly they layered it on. What I suspect is someone was there with them and All did right. it. Um, and I'll, I'll have a look, see if I can find out, but I don't know. But yes, you're right. It has got the tambourine on it. So. Hmm. Oh. I can be sifting through the uh, the substantial in um, booklet that comes with it. Well, I'm looking here. It says nothing about who played tambourine. Oh, well, there we go. Yeah. It's literally one sentence to describe it. Uh, but then we got a Disney, Disney Miss Lizzie. Which <laughs> Disney Miss Lizzie, then. Disney Miss Lizney, <laughs> as it's now officially known. Because it's been bought by them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then a, a version of the Kansas City Hey, 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 Hey medley. Yeah. Which uh, is the first spit- one that, uh, sorry, Disney, uh, is it Dizzy Miss Lizzie? There's a, a big absence of Paul songs for quite a large part of this side. And then he comes back with that, I think. Yes, no, you're right, yeah. yeah. So, well, you get John doing Dizzy Miss Lizzie and then you get the Kansas City thing, which is obviously a great yeah. uh, McCartney vocal. Then we have the little bit of speech called Set Fire to That Lot, which leads into Ringo doing Matchbox. Mm-hmm. Then we flip to I Forgot to Remember to Forget, mm-hmm. which I think was one of the ones that's been improved considerably since the release on the um, 1994 CD. That was one that's very archive materially. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's much better on the 2013 remaster. Then we have the little bit of speech called Love These Goon Shows, mm-hmm. which drops into I Got to Find My Baby. 
Yeah. Then we hit number 30 on the CD, and it is Ooh, My Soul. Oh, my soul. Well, baby, baby, baby. My soul, Paul. Well, that's... I don't, I don't know how to respond to that one. I didn't even you know delivered it, that. I didn't know it was going to even come out like that when I said it. Yeah. Ooh. Bayek, my soul. Ooh, my soul, Paul. Yes. Well, a little Richard number. And, I mean, what you say about little Richard, other than he's awesome. Uh, they loved him. They obviously, by the time that this goes out, this goes out on Pop Goes the Beatles on the 27th of August, 1963. Mm-hmm having been recorded on the 1st of August. They'd met little Richard in October 1962 Mm. on a couple of dates in England. And then um, they're obviously, he's there in Hamburg in November 1962. Yeah. So they know, apart from loving his records anyway, they actually get to know him a little bit. Yeah. And also meet Billy Preston, who is in little Richard's band at the time. Uh, At the age of 16, which is ludicrous. But yeah, this was a... A single by Little Richard which came out in 1958. It was uh, it got to number 22 in the UK in August 1958, and it's a, a great. I've included it on this list as one of the options for us to listen to uh, because of the great Paul vocal on it. Yeah, we've got Little Richard Paul back, haven't we? Yeah, but also it's not exactly the same as his voice on some of the other things like Long Tall Sally. It's again, he does a slightly different voice. He's got a lot more voices, I think, than people. I think oh, because yeah. McCartney's style is so recognisable and, you know, as you sort of yeah. people parody the sort of wings sound and things like that, that voice where it's really just him yeah. shining through his own songs. But actually when he's doing covers, he has a few different voices, even in the same registers. Yeah. So this is different to say Long Tall Sally, um, but still brilliant rock and roll voice. Yeah, yeah, he's, 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 I mean, he's kind of doing a bit of an accent as well, isn't he, with this one? Um, yeah. You know, he's, 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 he's acting the song a bit more. He's got more opportunity with the whole, ooh, my soul bit to do a bit of a, an accent. It's quite exposed. It's not just like um, very loud singing at a high register, um, very good, high, you know, singing. Yeah, it, it, it comes right out of the gates, this one, this song bolts around for about 1 minute and 37 and then it's um, out of the race course and halfway down the road before you've had a chance to say, ooh, my soul. It's a it's it's a little Richard number in that fast and furious romping along type of song, isn't it? You know? Yeah. I mean, great, great writer, great performer. And Paul doesn't just do little Richard, well, that's performance-wise, so we'll get on to that. But the song itself, um, yeah, I think the... Um, and the feature of this one really is those those repeated lines, isn't it? Um, you, you've got those that it's got that repetition in the in the main vocal. I can't remember what the word is now, but every sent every line ends in a kind of repeat of of what he's saying. It yeah, it, it's it's very forceful. So yeah, uh, you have the same key words sort of repeated yeah. over and over again. It kind of pushes the song, a kind of a pleading, screaming, exaltation type of song, um, and of course the 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 titular, like just, oh my soul, ah my soul, as it, <laughs> if you translate it to British, um, 
yeah so um yeah great i'm gonna give it 70 for music because i think it's a it's a proper proper little rocky yeah stormer stormer so performance then yes let's talk about paul so you said he had the benefit of having met little richard and i think he says doesn't he either in i think i think he says in the in the anthologies or somewhere obviously that he, he learned some tricks from him you know he yeah actually learned. the the mccartney woo yeah you know is is essentially him being little richard using his little richard voice Doing the whoops and the woos and things, it's which like, is yeah. great. I think he kind of, he kind of like in his interviews, he's kind of said, you know, I met Little Richard, and you kind of learn a few things. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean just because you've met Little Richard that you, a thin white man from Liverpool, should be able to sing like that. You know, I know it's it's just daft. mad the voice that comes out of him. You do some, you know, the things that can convince you of the magic of music is things like that, isn't it? It's, yeah. He's, he, if he could sing like that, but he'd never met Little Richard, it would be like, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. But the fact that you know that they had met, yeah, and but not like on a big super stage show where they're all famous, yeah. like just to, like backstage in a tower ballroom or whatever, and yeah. and then in Hamburg, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's his, mad. His rock voice in this register is baffling. It's uh, and this song is pretty much all about you know, um, allowing him to deliver it up to, to us with a, with a fast backbeat. So the, um, the solos are a bit quiet to judge them. I think there's something that we lose in the production to kind of hear. I think yeah. they, they're a bit lost in the mix, but um, it sounds like they're having fun with them. It also sounds like, is, is it more, it's maybe John and George are taking a solo each in this one, or maybe, I don't know. Yeah, quite possibly, yeah. Because I think yeah. this sounds like two different solos, ists. And there's a couple of solos and they sound slightly different to each other. Now. There's a couple of moments across some of these songs where John gets a solo. Yeah, uh, I think Ringo calls out for John to solo he, at some yeah, point. Yeah, just what I was thinking. He, yeah, he says, uh, says um, so that must be in Matchbox or something. Yeah, I think it is. Um, but yeah, um, Ringo's fast fills are fun. That's it. Easy, oh, well, so, easy well to said. say. And they basically just slay this to the end, don't they? So I'll give it 75 for performance. Because it's, you know, good, good fasty. Nice. Uh, song choice um, this could almost be interchangeable with Kansas City or Hey 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 so I could see them not needing it for um, an album because they already had those two I think they, they've encapsulated although you know, like you say it does have different voices I think you get the energy you need you mean Kansas City or Long Tall Sally yeah but Kansas City has the Hey 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 bit doesn't it it does, yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's what just, I'm saying. But I, I just think of that as one thing because of the... Oh, yeah, sorry. I've just read it like as I'm talking about two things, but I'm just saying it as one. But yeah, all, all along to Sally, he's basically got his little Richard numbers already, hasn't he? So, And I think this one is a bit brief and doesn't give him as much no. to do. I as, think they made the right choice going with those other ones, yeah. especially given how much I love his vocals on, on both Kansas City and Long Tall Sally. But like you say, yeah, the brevity of this song... It's just like a little live explosion. Perhaps wouldn't have worked so well on disc. No, maybe not. But I, I quite like it as a song. I think if they hadn't, think if they, they could have swapped it out for I, I've one or two of them, you know. So um, I'm giving it a 75 for song choice because I don't. I think it would have been. It still would have made as much sense if they'd done a proper studio version. Maybe not. Oh, I'm doubting myself now. But I've already said it now. 75 for song choice. 73.3 overall. Uh-huh. Hmm. Yeah, so that's that one. That wasn't the last one, though. Is it? No, we've, no, got, no, one we've got one more yeah. to go. And we've got some more tracks to go. So Yeah, well, we have track 31, which follows on directly, which is, ooh, my arms, <laughs> which, is, which is a great little speech bit. Uh, but we come straight on to our next choice, which is track 32 on uh, disc two, and that is 
George and Paul together singing Don't Ever Change, which was a hit for the crickets in 1962. Don't ever change, Paul. Well, I'm now 43 years old, and I think any opportunity for growth <laughs> has long since passed. Oh, dear. <laughs> if anything, I'm going backwards. Um, well, I suppose that would be changing. That would be changing. Just yeah. De- devolving, I think. Yeah. So, this is a uh, Goffin and King number that was done by the Crickets, so obviously formerly the band that was with Buddy Holly mm. uh, until his death, and then they carry on as, as a unit. Uh, yeah, this is a version from Pop Goes the Beatles on the 27th of August, uh, same one that we've just been talking about. And yeah, this was on, on the UK charts for 13 weeks. It got to number five in 1962. Mm. So a, a fairly good size hit over here. And I've included it, one, because I love the music in it. I love the chords. And two, yeah. it's George and Paul singing together. Yeah. Which is... A nice change. Yeah, it's a nice combo. Yeah, and their voices always block together well, don't they? When they when we do get them to um, locked in, but there's not many opportunities to hear just the two of them, is there? No, no. Uh, I mean, yeah. yeah, you get them together in backing vocals with John stuff, you know. Yeah. But rarely do you get them. It's the, the two of yeah, them doing lead together. And it's, it's, so it's George is identified as the kind of lead, isn't he? But it's pretty much the two of them throughout, isn't it? So. I'd say yeah. Paul's the higher harmony, so you kind of your ear latches more onto George's voice at first, doesn't it? And then Paul blocks it, blocks it up with it. So, but yeah, it's a nice change of pace. Um, but not sure how to categorise it, which, as you know, is always my main concern. It's kind of vocal harmony pop, I guess. Yeah, it's 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 pop. It's more on the pop end of things, isn't it? It's um, yeah, pop rock, pop pop, kind of vocal group of pop. You could imagine maybe Peter and Gordon, people like that. It's a, du- a duet type of thing with George and Paul doubling up and George in the lead. Some lovely chords as well, I thought. Yeah, like it's, it's, I think it's, it's such a nice song Yes, yeah. musically for them to have worked out and have done. Yeah, um, I like the development of the song and the, trans- the transitions between the two main sections, how it moves to that kind of modulation of the key when it goes to the don't ever change bits and stuff. It's pleasant to listen to. And has an earworm kind of quality, both in the vocals and the guitar answering riff, which I think they're doing on guitar, but it's maybe piano or something in the original. The ding, da ding, da ding, da ding bit. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. And then a good old middle eight to pad it out, you know, like you need. Yeah, it's a good harmony, vocal, pop music record that they mm-hmm. do a good job of. 67 for music, I've given it. Nice performance then so unlike something like i just don't understand which had all that ambition and this one i think they capture everything you need to capture of a song in their version you know yeah because there's not they're not really kind of going well we can't do that bit we'll just do something on the guitar for that bit they they, they, they get it all george paul and george's voices will work really well together nice to hear with george so prominent yet still blended um and some nice little worked out bits for the outro I think I like it, yeah. 
63 for, uh, yeah. for, for performance. Go on, Paul. Yeah. Sorry, Gary, for talking over you. That's all right. um, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think they... Uh, and yes, I get what you mean in, in terms of comparing this to I just don't understand because the version that they're learning from, the record by the crickets, mm. yes, it's got a piano on it, I think, but it's not so madly beyond what they can do as a group yeah. that it is that they lose anything there particularly. And yeah. in fact, they they get more or less everything right. Because even that end bit where it goes, dun, 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 which is, you know, mm. you can imagine being quite a dramatic thing. And some versions of songs like with those sorts of bits in would have strings and brass going, bum, bum, bum. You know, and they, whereas it actually in the original, it is just the guitar doing a yeah. twiddly, dum, dum, dum. And they can do that. Yeah. So it works. Yeah, and it sounds good. So, which is why I awarded them 63 for performance. They'll be happy to know. Um, so, yeah, so just the song choice. Um, so, I think from a vocal harmony point of view, you can hear the influence on something like All My Loving or the kind of um, relationship yes. between this kind of song and that kind of composition with the the lovely dual harmony type of melodies. And so much of what they love to do as a group with their with their voices, um, I I like hearing them play this and enjoy those harmonies and chord changes. Again, it's the one that I imagine they probably took notice of when writing themselves when they were you know learning their own craft, listening to this, going, oh, we should do something that sounds like this, you know. Let's yeah, try. I think you're absolutely yeah. right. I think it is, it's and it's it is interesting. Again, it's 1962, so this is relatively contemporary. So mm. it's nice that they were still absorbing and they weren't just looking backwards. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a good song for sure. I, I don't know if I could, as far as the, would I listen to it on an album? Not would I listen to it? Would I? Could I picture it on an album? Maybe not so much. It's not massively Beatles, but I, I like the song choice for for the fact that they did it in this context. So I'm going to give them 66 for song choice, which gives them 65.3 altogether. Right. So the last few songs from the um, listings, then, and we could look at the chart. Yeah, well, we've got um, Slow Down is done, which, because it's a live uh, live at the BBC performance, doesn't have John doing his double tracking wrong, because it's just, <laughs> it's not double tracked, yeah. so he's not singing different words across himself. Uh, then we have um, Honey Don't, which is yeah. known for being a Ringo song on the record, but is John singing it here. So that was a good thing to hear. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, that passed me by. I didn't realise. Yeah. Yeah, so... Well, yeah, it becomes a Ringo number, but originally yeah. it was John one of John's numbers. Uh, then we have Love Me Do, mm-hmm. and the new musical track on the 2013 edition is a closing from us to you. Yeah. Thing, so that it sort of bookends the, the record Yeah, with those uh, specially recorded little themes. And that's it. That's disc two. Disc two done. So let's do the chart of the songs. Now we've done the two discs of... Um, volume one and we have a top 10 of what will eventually be 20 songs and it goes like this at number 10 the honeymoon song at number nine keep your hands off my baby nothing shaking at number eight young blood at number seven lonesome tears in my eyes at number six at number five don't ever change at number four i just don't understand Ooh, my soul at number three Soldier of Love at number two, and To Know Her Is To Love Her at number one. Right. Those Interesting. Fir- yeah. yeah. I mean, I think I could, you know, on another day, I just don't understand, could, could be a bit higher than Ooh My Soul. But I think those first five, you're starting to make a nice little kind of like list of things, especially to listen to together. 
All of them are, but you know, they, they, imagine they're... if they'd gone into the studio and recorded those ten songs and put out an album yeah. of covers, you know, properly recorded in the studio. That would have been fascinating. Yeah, although I think I still would have done without the honeymoon song. But the rest of it, traitor. <laughs> but so we get to move on to um, next week. We're moving on to volume two. Which did you say yes. it came out a little bit after volume? I know, I know we'll go into it, but just to well, kind of... volume one came out in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Volume 1 Remastered came out in 2013 with Volume 2. Ah. So I barely know Volume 2 Ooh. still. To this day, it's it's unlike Volume 1, which I know backwards and yeah, inside, inside out. Yeah. Volume 2 to me is still a bit of a mystery. So it's uh, it's been a bit... You know, I've still had to select some stuff because there's quite a lot of repeated material. Yeah. So I've, I've tried to do my very best to select interesting things from volume two because there's definitely interesting things there okay but it'd be interesting to explore that a bit more because like i say i'm less familiar with that well we shall do it together that's it with all you help stufa with your help and with all of you listening so thanks for listening and we'll see you next week for volume two disc one of live at the bbc goodbye Merry BBC, Beatles, Beatles, BC. Beebles. What did we say? Beebles. Beebles. <laughs> I couldn't even remember. Oh, I just Beebles. 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 Oh, it sounds silly. Bye.